Hey, this is John Gunter. I'm the preaching minister at the Eagle Community Church of Christ here in Mont Bellevue, Texas. You have found our teaching podcast, and we are so grateful that you would listen. This week, we have a lesson from Paul Fagala, who filled in last minute for me as I woke up sick uh, early Sunday morning. This week, Paul talks about unity that we find in Christ, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Thanks again for listening. Come see us sometime. Well, good morning again. Um, you know, there's nothing quite like waking up, reaching over, getting your phone, looking at it, and having a text from the preacher saying, I got my COVID booster yesterday, and I'm really feeling bad. Could you preach for me this morning? <laughs> nothing quite like that. So um, grabbed my computer, went to my archives, and I found a sermon for you. So, um, but you know, this whole, the whole thing did remind me of a story that I heard one time. There was a, uh, there was a preacher who loved to play golf. And so springtime arrived and after, you know, cold, hard winter, lots of rain. He woke up one Sunday morning, beautiful day. And he thought, oh, I've got to get out on the golf course. So he called the associate minister and in his best gravelly voice said, um, I'm not feeling well today. Can you preach for me? And oh, yeah, we'll take care of everything. I hope you get to feeling better. So he got dressed, grabbed his clubs, threw them in the car, drove to the golf course and started playing. And God and the angels were around watching him. And the angels were saying, you know, this is, this is a preacher. And he lied about being sick so he could go play golf. He's skipping church. What are you going to do about it? And God said, I've got this. Just wait. So he starts playing and he's having a pretty good day. And uh, so he finally comes up to a par five hole. And on this hole, every time he played this course, he never scored better than par on it. And so God says, watch, watch this. So he tees off, the ball flies straight down the fairway further than he's ever hit it before. And he's really impressed by this. So the ball lands in the fairway. And just as it stops rolling, a squirrel comes running out, grabs the ball, starts running straight down the fairway, carrying it even further. So the preacher's watching this with amazement. And a little bit later, this hawk comes down, grabs the squirrel, flies straight down the fairway to a tree near the green and lands in the top of the tree. Well, just as the hawk lands in the top of the tree, the tree fell over toward the green. When it hit, the ball popped out of the squirrel's mouth, landed on the green, rolled into the hole for a hole in one. And the angels are going, God, how is this teaching him a lesson? That's a miraculous shot. No one in the history of golf has ever had a shot like that. No one will ever have another shot like that. How is that teaching him a lesson? And God said, yes, it was a miraculous shot, but let me ask you, who's he going to tell? <laughs> so, John, I'm sure your day is going to be fantastic. Have to give John a little hard time. So, so this morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter two. So, if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and turn over to Ephesians chapter two. And Ephesians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, it's it's one of those books where you can it, it can really speak volumes to you, even if you don't know the historical significance and and all the co historical context surrounding it. Uh, you know, what was going on in Ephesus. It's, it's a book that I really think that Paul 
could write to churches today. And it would have the same kind of application as it did when he wrote it to the church in Ephesus. So we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 11. And so uh, let's, let's read. Let's read. There we go. <clears throat> Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth were called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done to the body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made, us, made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility." He came and preached peace to you who were once far away and, pre and peace to those who were poor. For, those, uh, for through him, we, uh, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and they're, they're having an issue that a lot of churches were having in this time. You have Jews and Gentiles now coming together and expected to be one church. And you have all these traditions and all these belief systems and all these differences where they're coming together and now they're expected to be unified under God. And of course, you know, the Jews, you know, for thousands of years hated the Gentiles. You know, so they you know, called them dogs and they were just, they weren't worthy of anything. And the Gentiles, they didn't think much of the Jews, uh, usually because of that kind of treatment from them. And so you, you have a lot of baggage that comes, that comes with this. And you know, they didn't have, uh, boy, I hate to use this word. They didn't have the luxury that we have now where there were, what, 10, 12 churches in a city? There was one. So they had to get along. So you know, you have, you have all these, these different barriers, all this stuff that's going on. And so uh, suddenly God says, hey, in Christ, you're all one. The Jews had to come to terms with they weren't only God's people any longer. And the Gentiles were having to come to terms with that they had a different way of life than they had ever known. And so they're here with all the traditions they had built over the years, and they had to be willing to let those things go a lot of times so that, they could be, so that there could be unity in the church. We won't read it, but in John 17, the last recorded prayer of Jesus before he went to the cross, Jesus had, a, it's, it's a whole chapter-long prayer, and so in, the, in verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself in this prayer. 
And then in verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for the apostles and, and all those who would continue his ministry at, immediately after his death. And then starting in verse 20, Jesus finishes out his prayer by praying for all who would respond to the apostles' message. That's us. So before Jesus went to the cross, he's praying for us. And out of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for, some of the things that I wish he would have prayed for, hey, God put a hedge around them, don't let Satan ever touch them. Give them everything that they would need so that they don't have any kind of, of problems. Keep them from illnesses and don't let them suffer the way that people who aren't Christians are. Those sound like really good prayers that sometimes I wish Jesus had prayed for us. But the thing that Jesus prayed for us is that we would all be one and we would be unified the way he and the Father were one. And that carries some significance to it. If it's that important for Jesus' last prayer to pray for us to be unified, that's something we really need to take a look at. So back to Ephesians 2, Paul shifts his focus, uh, talking about all the, you know, all the things that, <clears throat> the, the differences, people coming together. He shifts the focus in verse 19 from, from what happens, uh, from, from the Jews and Gentiles being one to what happens whenever they are added to God's kingdom. And we, we typically do a good job when someone is baptized of talking to them about, hey, forgiveness of sins, um, you're, you're added, you know, you're added to the church, you're, you're, you become a part of God's family, and, uh, you know, you, you have the hope now of, of spending eternity with God uh, because you are saved and you're, you're washed uh, white as snow. <clears throat> but sometimes I think that we don't really spend enough time with talking about our place and what, and something that really happens that we don't think about much whenever we become citizens of God's kingdom. And so, I want to talk about, about that just a little bit morning, uh, this morning. So we, we, you know, we understand that we're taken from outside of God's kingdom. We're put into his kingdom. God's our king. We're no longer slaves to Satan, but, uh, but God, God has authority over us. He rules over us. And, it's, and so Paul makes the point that when we become part of the community, that it, it knows no boundaries. There's no geographical boundary. There's no time boundary that we become a part of the worldwide church. <clears throat> it's, it's easy sometimes to kind of get lost in, not get lost in that, not to, to kind of forget where we stand with that. And a, a lot of times it's easy to focus on here, what we do here. And that's, and, and we should certainly focus on what we're doing here, but a lot of times we forget that what we do here has impact far beyond what we could ever imagine. And Paul makes that, Paul makes that plain that, that when he starts talking about this, this building that God is building for himself, we're, we're a part of this worldwide church. Now, I've never, I've never laid bricks myself and you know, built a brick wall or anything like that, but I've watched people do it. And it, it's, it's amazing to watch the people who are skilled at building a brick wall. If I built a brick wall, it might last for, I don't know, 
six months. <laughs> it would, you would start to see problems with it, okay? But, but the people who know what they're doing, man, those guys, they're fast. You know, they just slap that mortar on, stick the brick on, slap that mortar. I mean, I mean they, can, they can really get a lot there because they know how to build it. They know the patterns that they need to use to make that wall as strong as it can possibly be. And Jesus describes God here as the master bricklayer. And so if someone ever calls you a blockhead, just say thank you. I'm a part of God's temple. But God knows what he's doing. He knows where to place the bricks so that it has the most impact, so it's the strongest. And he puts that mortar in there to solidify that wall and so that it's used to put those bricks together and make that wall strong. And so Paul makes the analogy that the bricks God is using uh, to build his temple are his people. When we become a Christian, we become a brick in the temple of God. <clears throat> Maybe the battery's going off. Oh, oh, wow, okay. Did you do that? Oh, okay. Um, so, um, so Pink Floyd has the song, Another Brick in the Wall. Right? And they make it, they talk about you know, the whole system and how everybody's just the same and the, the system just turns out the same old thing and we don't need to be that. We need to be different. We don't need to be just another brick in the wall. But Paul says, hey, that's an excellent thing. It's a, it's a wonderful thing that you are a brick in this wall of God's temple. We're not just another brick in the wall. We have an honored place, and we were placed there by God himself. And so in Genesis, God walked with his people. Okay, new batteries. We got to remember new batteries. God walked with his people, and then sin entered the world. And so God, as John talked about in his sermons, God desired to be with his people. So while the Israelites we're wandering in the, in the wilderness, God instituted the tabernacle. And so when they would stop and camp, they would set the tabernacle up, and that was God's visual reminder that, hey, I'm with my people. And then as they went on and they settled in Canaan, God, uh, Solomon built the temple, and that was the structure in the city there in Jerusalem that reminded the Jews, hey, I'm with my people. Here I am. I'm with you. But now with the church, when Jesus died on the cross, you remember that the curtain of the temple was torn in two and that God signified that he wasn't gonna be in a building any longer. There wasn't, wasn't any confinement that God was going to make his dwelling place in, in each of his followers. And so he dwells in the church by indwelling each Christian. So the foundation was laid by the apostles, and the cornerstone is Jesus. And so this is an example of a cornerstone, the large block that's down there at the bottom. And it's, it's, the, it's one of the most important pieces because it, it provides all the support and all the structure for the building. And so a lot of times in ancient buildings, the foundation stone, it was, it was placed on the northeast corner of the structure, and that was thought to be a very esteemed uh, position for that. And there was a lot of times uh, ceremonies that went on when it was placed and they would make grain offerings and wine 
offerings and oil offerings and pour that on the rock or under the rock. And that symbolized that, symbolized that God was with uh, the people and the lands and he was going to provide for them. And some of the older uh, older traditions that they would have, they would make an animal or a human sacrifice uh, when these rocks were laid um, to, uh, to signify the importance of the foundation. And so sometimes the cornerstone would show some information about the building and people could see it and it was placed in a very prominent place so everyone could see it. And so Paul says in this temple that God is building for himself, Jesus is that cornerstone. It's the support that, that's there for everyone have, and it's the piece of the wall that binds the structure together. And Jesus unified both, those Jew, both the Jews and the Gentiles into that one church, and that temple is being built. So as people accept Jesus, they become a, a brick in the wall. Some, some are mortared together more closely with others, but we're all connected. And it's a beautiful thing to think that you can place a mark on this brick and a mark on the very top brick, and you can follow that mortar and get and make that connection with each other. And you can often follow it several different ways to make that connection with each other. And that's the imagery that Paul gives. We're all connected with everybody who's gone before us, to Jesus and the apostles, and we're connected to people who are going to come after us because we're all in this temple. We have this mesh going on where we're, we are all interconnected. <clears throat> and like, like I said earlier, I think that has some implications that we really don't think about because you know, we, we tend to focus on our brick you know, and, and what's going on here and what, what, you know, how, are, how are things that we're doing here affecting us? And we don't really think about how what we're doing here affects everywhere, the whole worldwide church and the church in China, the church in Africa, South America. What we do here has impact on that. And we may not see it, but because we're all connected that way, it has a huge impact. Of course, what happens sometimes whenever the wall is weak is a brick might get weak, and if it falls out, what ends up happening to the rest of the wall? It will turn into something like this, and you see, you've seen buildings sometimes where the bricks have gotten weak and have fallen out, and the wall might fall over, and it's not strong any longer. And so if one part of the wall is strong, then the parts around it are going to be able to be strong, but if it's weak, it's not going to the, the whole wall becomes a little bit weaker at that point. And so the impact, you know, it may not be felt immediately if we have a weak part in there, but as it gets weaker and weaker, you do start to see what happens to, those, to that wall. And so if our part of the wall is strong, then we can help support some of those weaker parts around us. So starting in chapter 3, <clears throat> Verse 1, I'm going to read this part uh, through verse 11. Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, 
That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the people in other generations as it is, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promises of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all these Lord's people, the, the grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was now that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is such a beautiful image to me that God instituted the church and created the church to basically show how smart he is. And you think about, you think about, you know, if I had been on the planning committee of what was going to happen after Jesus died on the cross and, and Pentecost, you know, I might have said, you're going to take all these people with all these differences and all these different backgrounds and you want, us, you want them to all work together? That's not how people do things, you know? We'd, you know, wouldn't it be better if you just had a church of people who believe this way and this church of people who believe this way? And then, you know, wouldn't that be better if we just did it that way? But God says, hey, all, all of you out there, all, all you good angels, all you bad angels, you want to see how smart I am? Look at my church. All these people with all these differences come together in unity and work together for a common goal. <clears throat> and it was, Paul says it was a mystery that, had, that he had talked about. And so, you know, Old Testament prophecies talk about the Messiah coming. They prophesy the church. But, but we don't find anywhere really in the Old Testament where God, he, he makes that promise to Abraham where all the nations will be blessed, but you don't see it happen until after the day of Pentecost and the church starts. And so they come together to form one body, and that was hidden from the people and the angels alike. In 1 Peter, Peter says that the angels long to look into the things of God, and they, they want to understand what he's doing, his purpose. And so... So all these angels are watching what God is doing, and God did this, created this church to show off his infinite wisdom. We are a part of showing how smart God is. And so we know from Job that Satan can come before God and they can have conversations. And I wonder... I wonder about the conversations that they have, and I wonder if Satan has ever said, God, really? That church? That's the best you could do? Come on. I mean, look, they're all fighting with each other. These people won't even talk to these people. Aren't they supposed to be together and unified? But God says, you know what? 
I'm going to take imperfect people. I'm going to show you how smart I am. And over 2,000 years later, the church is still active. I believe it's still strong. And God is still showing how smart he is because no matter what has come against the church, it's still here. So I think that there are some things that we need to ask ourselves. One of those things is, how smart are we making God look? Our, our place in the wall, how strong is that? Are we, are we strengthening that wall? Are we providing support? Or are we one of those weak areas that maybe needs some repair to make us strong again? And I think that there are things happening here that, that mortar us strongly together. Um, we've got small groups, and I've been a part of small groups before, and I know how, how great that they are to bring people together, to, to have those good, strong relationships established, and, and I've seen it, how it benefits the church as a whole. So if you're not a member of one of the small groups, find one, get involved. And, and just, I think, you'll, I think that you'll really, really like it if you're not a member of the group. Our, our elders, um, I've, I've, been, I've been impressed with our elders that they're, that they're, willing, to, to, they're willing to look at what the Bible says and, and do what the Bible says and, and not, not be so worried about what people may, maybe think about things. But what, what does the Bible say? And that's, that's a good foundation to be on with our elders. Um, we've got, we've got a great preacher when he's here. Um, <laughs> but, I, but, you know, I believe, I, I, I truly believe that God brought John here at this time, making this transition from Baytown to Mont Bellevue, God brought John and his family here to help with that. And I am excited to see what happens there. So I'm, you know, I'm very, I'm very optimistic about the church here and what God is doing through us here. And I believe that our part of the wall is strong and it's getting stronger. So let me ask you as I, as I close, let me ask you personally, how strong is your brick in the temple of God? Do you, do you need to be strengthened? Do you need to, to fortify your place in that wall so that the wall around you is as strong as it can possibly be? What areas do you need to strengthen yourself so that your part of that wall can be as strong as it can possibly be? And I would encourage you this year to really look at those areas where you know your weaknesses and really let's focus on making ourselves stronger, making ourselves more God-like, more Christ-like so that our part of the wall can be as strong as it could possibly be, and we can reach out to this community, and we can bring others in as well. So we're going to offer an invitation. So maybe you know some areas in your life that you would like for us to pray over, and that those of us who are strong can help you when you're weak. That's, that's one of the beauties of the church, is we can do that for each other. We'd love to hear that and pray with you and, and give you some support. Maybe you want to start your journey, and you want to be baptized, and you want to be take your place in that wall and provide that support for God's building. So whatever need that you have, ask that you let us know as we stand and sing.